Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning. Would you uh, join with me in a word of prayer? Father, we come here this morning and we come in prayer not because out of duty or obligation, but our posture is, is that we come praying this morning, Lord, because we know there's things that need prayer and we know that we cannot change them, we cannot fix them, we cannot do them ourselves. It is only because of you. And so as we pray here this morning, Lord, we understand who you are and who we are, and that we turn to you, Lord, for help. We know that you are God and that you are sovereign and that you are in control. And so we come here today, Lord, uh, with that on our mind as we pray. And Father, we want to be praying specifically for Pastor Steve as he's traveling back from Uganda. And Lord, despite the injury that occurred for him, Lord, we pray for favor upon him, Lord, as he has to make various flights and connections and that you would just be with him, Lord, and that you would just grant favor as he goes from Uganda back here to Lancaster County, Lord, and that you would uh, just allow... Um, uh, the team as he gets back, Lord, and gets his leg checked out, Lord, that they'd be able to know exactly what to do. And Lord, we just pray for that, that you would just go before and, and be with him through this, Lord. And we're just thankful for his efforts of going and the work that he did on the goal project and being able to um, go and, and help with being able to deal with uh, people that are dealing uh, with drug and alcohol addiction, Lord, and the opportunity that they can, can help uh, people there, Lord, but also point them to Jesus Christ. And so we just pray that as he comes home, that you would be able to be with him, Lord, and uh, the opportunity as he gets to meet his first granddaughter, and the opportunity that he gets to spend time there, Lord. We also want to lift up and pray for needs within our body and congregation, Lord. There are many people that are dealing with physical, spiritual, emotional, financial Uh, needs, Lord, and we pray, Lord, that you would meet them where they're at, that you would be with them, Lord, and that they would experience your presence in their life, Lord, and that you would be with them, and that you would uh, answer uh, their requests and their needs, Lord, as you see fit. I pray that as we, your church, your body, that we could be there and care and walk with people, Lord. I think specifically, Lord, to lift up and pray for the Brazy family, Lord, with Bob now in your presence, Lord, that he's no longer having to fight cancer here on this earth, Lord, but he is with you, Lord. So we're thankful in that sense, Lord, but we also pray for the family and for comfort since Bob is no longer with us, Lord. And we think beyond our church walls and our community, we think about the families of the Smiths, the Schaefers, Lord, and just what's happened in their lives, Lord, and we pray for comfort for the family, that you would be with them. And Lord, we 
even though we might not know exactly, Lord, how to pray, Lord, we know that you, that you are God and you're on the throne. And so we just pray that we can be your hands and feet and that we can be in prayer and that we can be loving families, people in our community, Lord, that, that need your love and need people to come along and just love and care for them, Lord. And so we pray towards that end and we commit that to you, Lord. We also want to pray for Rachel Cummer as she's down in Georgia, Lord, and doing missions, Lord, and as you kind of direct her over the next two years of what that will look like, where that will be, Lord, we pray that you would just continue to guide and direct her, and we're thankful for her heart to want to be able to see the nations, see individuals that do not know you, that they will come to know and follow your son, Jesus. And so we pray that you'd be with her and thankful for her willingness to go, and we know that there is opportunities, Lord, and so we're thankful for her willingness to uh, be obedient and to go and be a part of what you're doing, your work around the world, Lord. Be with us today as we continue to worship, as we hear from your word, and Lord, as we get to hear about your love. And I'm reminded in scripture, it tells us, Lord, that you demonstrated your love to us, that while we are yet sinners, your son Jesus died for us. And we're thankful that you loved us when we were unlovable. We're thankful that your love transforms us. And that with that, Lord, we can be able to live out and uh, we can live that love out towards others. And so we pray here today, Lord, that your spirit would do a work only the spirit can do. And that we would be able to uh, live lives that reflect your love and what you've done for us, Lord. And so we pray this in the strong and powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. The scripture reading for this weekend is found in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know God because God is love, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, in this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Forever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Thank you very much, Pastor Jarrett. 
give your Bibles or your devices, I encourage you to keep them open to 1 John chapter 4 today as we dig into this passage of Scripture and discover the third attribute in our series, God getting to know Him better, and that is the attribute of love. We've already studied the Trinity. We studied the holiness of God. Outstanding sermon last week as I had the opportunity in the balcony to, to greet people, but also to listen to Pastor Paul as he preached the Word of God. This week, the subject, the topic, the attribute is the love of God. Pastor and seminary professor Ian Pitt Watson relates the story of his youngest daughter, Rosemary, who when she was three years old was gifted a little rag doll. That rag doll was uh, not her only toy, but it became her most favorite toy. She became inseparable from a rag doll. She had all kinds of other toys that were much more valuable than the rag doll, but she loved this rag doll. Soon the rag doll became more rag than it was doll, and so when mom and dad would try to take it away so that they could clean it, they learned that trying to clean it made it even more rag still, and yet not cleaning it made it even dirtier still. And yet the sensible thing in their mind was to get rid of that rag doll. But Ian Watson writes, if you knew Rosemary, if you loved Rosemary, you knew that you couldn't get rid of that rag doll. They were inseparable companions. If you loved Rosemary, you had to love her rag doll because that rag doll was part of the package. Ian Watson goes on and he quotes this portion of scripture. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother does not love God. To paraphrase that verse of scripture, could we say this? Love me, love my ragdolls. Love me, love my ragdolls. Can you say that with me? Love me, love my ragdolls. I believe that God would say that on the basis of this word. Let me ask you a question today. How's your love life? How's your love life as it relates to this central truth that God is love and that God wants us to love others? First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21 is a long passage of Scripture, and yet it unpacks the rich truth about who God is, about his central attribute of love, and about how that attribute causes us to live our lives very differently than the world around us. The centrality and the practicality of God's love is the focus of our study today. Now, one thing that I want you to notice in 1 John chapter 4 is that the way John writes this, he's really addressing Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. Now, that is not to say that we have no obligation to love those who are outside the church, not at all. It just so happens that this portion of Scripture is addressing our family life within the church. What you need to understand, however, is that the principles that John is teaching us this morning have absolute application to the way we live in the culture around us and the way we love others, even if they are not our brothers and sisters in Christ. So with that understanding, let's dig into the Word of God. And here the basic truths that God teaches us in 1 John chapter 4. And the first one is simply this, God is love. God is love. Say that with me. God is love. That's John's great 
great declaration of the truth of the attribute of God's love. Now, what this means is that God's very nature, his very nature is love. It's one of the several ways that the New Testament writers describe God. And in 1 John chapter 4, John chooses to say it two times in these simple words, God is love. Now, to paraphrase theologian J.I. Packer, this is what that means. God's love is the essence of his goodness towards sinners by which he identified with us. Let me just stop there and say this to you. We all understand when God chose to identify with us, that was called Christmas. It's when Jesus came in the flesh, dwelt among us, and by God in the flesh, he identified with us and our plights and our suffering and our troubles and our challenges as well as our joys and the blessings of this life. Jesus is like us in every way except one, and that is he never sinned. He was fully God, he was fully man, and he identified with us. God gave his son, Jesus, to be our savior. And God brings us then into a relationship with himself when we come to know and follow Jesus Christ. So what does it mean that God is love? It is the very essence of his goodness toward us through his son, Jesus Christ. Packer says that the love of God is free, it is spontaneous, it is unevoked, it is uncaused, it is unconditional, it is sacrificial in every way. People like to say God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. Let me just say to you that more foundational than that is that God is love all the time, all the time, God is love. That also means that because God's nature is love, God is also the source of all love around us. You understand that, that the love that we have for each other, whether it be the love that I have for my wife Jenny, the love that I have for my daughters and my grandchildren, the love that I have for you, the love that we have for each other, it is not something that we manufacture. It is not something that is unique to us, that is innate in us. It is something that comes from God and must come from God. God alone is the source of love. Hallmark is not the source of love. American Greetings is not the source of love. If they have any corner on love, it is only because God has enabled them to express love in appropriate ways. God is the source of all love that there is in this world. The only reason that we can love is because God first loved us. Now, the love of God was absolutely amazing during the days of Jesus. Because you see, during the days of Jesus in the Greek and the Roman Empire, there were lots of gods that people worshiped. And there were gods who had a form of love, but unfortunately, it was more lust than love. There were a lot of Greek and Roman gods that lusted after women. And so basically, in the Greek and Roman way of thinking, the only way that God could love you is if he wanted something from you and got something out of you. They had no understanding that there could be a God who would love sinners. I mean, really? A God who would love sinners? And yet, the Christian faith brought that truth to the table, that there is a God, the one true and living God, and that he loves sinners. Not only did they not have that concept, they didn't even have a word to express it. And so the word that was developed to express that kind of love is agape love, unconditional, unreserved, uncaused, unevoked, sacrificial love. And so when we say that God is love, we're saying that his very nature, the essence of him is that he is a God of love. He is the source of all love. And thirdly, 
When we say that God is love, we are also saying that, that all of God's activity in this world is loving activity. In other words, if you look at God the creator, behind his creation, it is driven by love. If you look at God the Savior, and you can understand this and agree with this, behind his act of salvation is nothing but love. But it's also true that God is our disciplinarian. Behind his acts of discipline, there is nothing but love. You understand that sometimes we make left turns. Sometimes we do things that we should not do. We act in ways that we should not act. We behave and speak words that we should not. We call that rebellion. We call that sin. And God will convict us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And according to Hebrews chapter 12, when we misbehave, when we sin, he will also discipline us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that discipline may not feel very good at the moment it's applied. And yet we have to understand that that discipline is done out of God's love for us. I mean, how many of you, when you were growing up, were disciplined by your parents and your mom or your dad said to you, I'm only doing this because... Yeah, look at that. A lot of you. I mean, a lot of you apparently misbehave, but a lot of you heard your parents say, only because I love you. And behind all the activity of God, there is this fuel that drives his activity, and it is the fuel of love. That's the love of God. And if that isn't amazing enough, here's the second truth. God loves us. God loves us. God loves us. God loves me. Do you ever think of it that way? God loves me. Why don't you say this with me? God loves us. Say it. God loves us. Now, say God loves me. God loves me. Oh, that sounds so selfish. But it's not. It's the absolute gospel truth. And the proof of that love is found in Jesus Christ, whom God sent to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. If we ever have any question about the love of God, all we need to do is look to the cross of Jesus Christ. For the cross is the supreme expression of God's love. Here's the truth. Our holy God desired a relationship with us. But there is one thing that stands in the way of a relationship with a holy God. And Bob Blackwell, you know what it is. It's our sin, right? And, and there's not a thing that Bob Blackwell or Mike Sigmund or any of you can do to pay for your sin. And so the amazing truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son who was perfect in every way to be the sacrifice for our sins, meaning that he went to the cross. He died in Mike Sigmund's place, Bob Blackwell's place. He died in your place, and. Andy and Kara, he died in your place. He died in your place, Sarah. He died in your place, Brian. He died on the cross for our sins. He took upon himself the sins of the world, bore them, paid for them by the blood that we sang about this morning. He was laid in a borrowed tomb. He rose on the third day, victor over sin and death and evil. On the 40th day, he ascended to the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. He offers to every one of us the free gift of his salvation. 
salvation, all of which is driven by his unconditional, sacrificial, uncaused, unevoked, unreserved love. That is the love of God. It's the greatest expression of love that you'll see anywhere in the world around us. And how do we respond to that love? We respond to that love by receiving the invitation and confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, believing in our hearts that God raised from the dead, confessing and repenting of our sin, and turning to Jesus to follow him all the days of our lives. When we do that, the Bible says the Holy Spirit then takes up residence in our lives and transforms us from the inside out. John says it this way. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 13, 15, and 16. He writes, We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Now here it is. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. In the New Living Translation, that last verse is translated this way. We know how much God loves us and we put our trust in him. Truth is this. When you respond to God's love by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, now listen, you get a taste of the love of God. The psalmist writes, taste and see, taste and see that God is good. Now, what in the world does that mean? Taste and see. What it means is when you come to faith in Christ, when you are first saved, you get a taste of the incredible love of God for you. You start to experience what it means to be forgiven of your sin, to be washed clean, to have your guilt taken away, to have your shame removed. You, you experience what it means to be made new. The Holy Spirit does all of that work in your life. And the Holy Spirit is a gift that God gives you. And, and we've talked about this so many times. First, to, to give you the assurance, to, to let you know that you know that you know that your sins are forgiven. You have new faith, new life in Christ. The Holy Spirit also comes into your life, and, and he adopts you into the family of God. The Holy Spirit does the work of regeneration. In other words, he, he makes all things new. The old is gone. Behold, you become a new creation. But, but hear me when I say this. There's another work of the Holy Spirit that I haven't mentioned very often, and I should have, that when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit then comes and takes up residence in your life, and he fills you with the love of God. He fills you with the love of God. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 5. This is when I, it's not on the screen, by the way, because I thought that I wrote it into my sermon. I dreamed that I wrote it into my sermon. I was sure that I wrote it into my sermon, and it wasn't in my sermon. So here it is. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's what the Word of God teaches, that if you are a Christian— you can experience God's love, not just a taste of it, but in heaping measures poured out, free-flowing in your life. The Word of God says in the King James Version that God's love is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God's love literally fills you and your heart if you are open and receptive to it. As a follower of Jesus Christ, everyone here has tasted and seen that God is good. Everyone here, if you're a Christian, has had a taste of the love of God. Let me ask you a question. Have you had your fill of the love of God? 
Do you know what it is to be literally filled to overflowing, literally free-flowing from heaven, the love of God into your heart? When Jenny and I first went into the ministry, we had a couple in Quarryville who became prayer partners of ours. They could have been our, our grandparents, actually, Mason and Dottie Druck. And we got to know them and knew them very well, and maybe some of you knew them as well. And Mason and Dottie prayed for us faithfully every week in the ministry that we had in Baltimore. They communicated with us. They encouraged us in the Lord. I'll never forget one of the conversations I had with Mason in which he related to me that one day when he was out plowing a field at his farm on Scotland Road, he was on his tractor and he was praying. And he decided to start praying for the love of God to fill his heart because he didn't feel that he was as loving as God wanted him to be. And he said, Mike, I was plowing, and he said, I was praying, and I said, Lord, would you fill me with the love, and I know that in the Word of God, you say that your Spirit does this work. Would your Holy Spirit do this work? And he said, Mike, it was as if heaven opened. And he said, I started to feel filled with the love of God. He said, my goodness, it became so overwhelming. I stopped the tractor. I lifted my hands to heaven. I said, I can't take much more. I think I'm filled up. I think I'm filled up, Lord. The other night, we were with Mason's daughter, Sheila. She was here at the 8 o'clock service. And I said to her, Sheila, I'm going to share that story. And she said, Mike... From that moment on, Daddy loved people as he never had before because God filled him with a love that he didn't have before. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever asked God to fill your heart? I mean fill it. I mean to overflowing. I mean to the point where it is literally coming out over the top and spilling down on the side to the point where if this was a glass of water, you'd stop at that point. But you're not stopping now because you are so overwhelmed by the presence and the power of God's love. What do we do with that? Once you are filled with his love, what do you do with that? Well, let's ask Jesus that question. Because when you ask Jesus that question, you're asking him a similar question to what a teacher of the law once said, which is the greatest commandment? And here is Jesus's answer on what you do when you are filled with God's love. He said this, the most important one is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Hear me when I say this. God is love. God loves us. When we trust God through his son, Jesus Christ, and follow him, receiving his gift of salvation, and determined to live for him, then we are demonstrating what it means to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But listen, there's something more. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 21. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Say that with me. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. In other words, since God loves us, we must love others. We must love others. It is not an option. It is not a choice. We must love others. I want to learn two truths this morning about what it means to love others. And the very first one is simply this. When we love others, 
our love is an evidence of our salvation. When we love others, our love for others is an evidence of our salvation. It is how people know that we are Christians, by our love. Look again at verses 7 through 11. Dear friends, John writes, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. For God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, I want you to say this with me. I don't want you to say it loud. Since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Love me. Love my ragdolls. Look at verses 19 and 20. We love each other because he first loved us. And if someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? Loving others is an evidence of our salvation. Secondly, loving others is also a witness to our Savior. Got that? Loving others is a witness to our Savior. It is one way that others come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You know, there are a lot of ways that we can witness and tell others about Jesus, but the most powerful way to make a difference in the world in which we live is, first of all, to love each other within the church, and then to love the people who are outside the church who are not believers. I've been around a long time, and I've served in ministry for 37 years, and over the years, I've talked to a lot of people who are looking for a new church or looking for a church where they can belong as Christians, and I've never once heard someone say, we're looking for a mean-spirited church where they know how to backbite, where when you walk in, you feel the tension, and we're just kind of looking for that place where they, you know, they have a lot of conflict. That's where we want to be, where they really don't like each other. Do you know any churches like that, Mike? Now, I hold my tongue at that point and don't answer that. Nobody ever asked me that. Nobody wants that. We as followers of Jesus Christ want to be in a place where there's love, right? Well, let me tell you something about churches that love each other. They attract people who do not yet know Jesus. Because those kinds of churches are so different than anything else that exists in the world around us. Where you can walk in and see such a diversity of people from different backgrounds, and yet there's a unity in their midst. And you know why that is? Because we've learned to love each other despite our differences. And in the culture that we live, I don't know if you notice this, the culture we live is kind of an angry culture right now. And it's a broken culture right now. And it's a culture in which people call each other out and cancel each other and judge each other. And what people are hungry for, what they're longing for, is a place where people love each other. But, but that's not all. We can't just love each other here. 
and then walk out and behave as if all those sinners aren't worthy of my love. Well, sure they are, because they are worthy of God's love. And so, therefore, they are worthy of our love. And we need to love in the same way that God loves this world through his son, Jesus Christ. And when we do that, it is a witness to Jesus. Simply put, look at verse 12 of 1 John chapter 4. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Do you know, do you know who the world looks to to learn who God is? Us. The church, when they know that you're a Christian on the job, know that you're a Christian in the neighborhood, do you know who they're looking to to learn who God is? They're looking to you. They're looking to me. And so the way we love others inside and outside the church is the most powerful way that we have to witness for Christ. And let me tell you something. God wants us to live a life of love 24-7, 365 days a year. Look at what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If we go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, the Word of God says, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Who is a mature Christian? The one who knows the most Bible verses? The one who's logged the most Bible studies? The one who's at church the most during the week? No. The most mature Christians are those who know how to love others because they first love God. And out of that love for God, they have a love for others. What happens when we don't love? What do people see? They see the devil. They see the devil at work in churches that are broken, in churches that are filled with conflict, in churches where people do not love. They do not see Jesus. They see the devil. And what do they experience? They experience the devil's work. And what do they see when there are Christians out and about, mean-spirited, angry, behaving poorly, yet telling others that they're followers of Jesus? Friends, if you want to be mean and you want to be angry and you want to use foul language to express yourself, please don't tell anybody you're a Christian. Don't tell them where you go to church. Please don't tell them where you go to church. Please don't do that to Jesus. You know what breaks my heart? To see the images of the insurrection on January 6th and to see people holding signs that say, Jesus saves, as from their tongues they spew forth profanity. Our culture sees that, friends. Oh, and I know people say, well, the, the camera shouldn't have been on them. Well, okay, the camera should have been on them, and they shouldn't have been there. And speaking in that way, while holding a sign that Jesus saves, if that's who your Jesus is, I'm not sure I want him. If that's the way your Jesus teaches you to behave, I, I'm not sure I want that. Some people say, well, Mike, you can't negotiate or compromise love. You have to stand on truth. Absolutely, Jesus did. Jesus did. And everybody runs right away to the one story in which he turned over the tables in the temple. That's the one story. Look at all of Scripture. And look at how Jesus 
understood the balance of grace and truth, love and truth. That's why we have that picture out there. I keep referencing that picture. I hope you all get to see it at some point. When you walk out the front doors, there is that beautiful painting where Jesus knelt by the woman who is caught in adultery. Is there no one left to condemn you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. He never compromised. He never negotiated. Out of the love of Jesus Christ, he loved that woman, but he said to her, stop sinning. You can do that today. You, you have to. I have to do it today. You realize that we're not going to win the culture by being mean and angry and spewing off what we think. We win it by our love. I know this will surprise you, maybe shock you even, but there are times when I can pontificate to Jenny, and of course I'm always right when I do this, about the way things are in the culture. And so that happened this week. I was, imagine this, writing this sermon, I fell into a pontificatable, that's a new one, attitude on Friday. And I was pontificating about something that I disagreed with in the culture, and she stopped me mid-sentence, didn't even let me finish. How about that? And she said, you realize again, again means that she had shared this with me before, <laughs> that the issue isn't all these sins. The issue is that they don't know Jesus, Mike. And so why would we expect people in the culture to live and behave like us if they don't have the knowledge of and the transforming power of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? So rather than being judgmental, maybe we need to pray and love so that they'll come to Christ. She's a wise woman, and I'm grateful for her. We are most like God when we love others. A young lady named Sally took a seminary at Bible college class, and she wrote about it. Her professor, she named Smith in the story. She said that the Bible college class was heavy theologically, and so she appreciated Professor Smith because he used really great sermon and lecture illustrations and object lessons. And she describes this day when they walked into class, and as they walked into the classroom, there was a target right at the front of the room. And she noticed that it was on, the, um, on, a, on a board, like a cork board, and the professor was handing out blank sheets of paper, eight and a half by 11, and to every student who came in the door, he said, okay, you know, go to the table. And he said, I just want you to draw a picture of a person that you're really irritated with right now, really frustrated with it, you're really not loving very much, and frankly, you could probably do without them in your life right now. I want you to go to the table, and I want you to each draw a picture like that. And, and, you know, they were up for it, so they all did that. Sally reports that... After a period of time, the professor invited the first student to take that picture and to put it up there in the middle of the target. And they grabbed some darts that were in the back table and just begin throwing the darts to try to work out your anger and emotion. And he allowed a lot of students to do that. Sally writes that she regretted that he stopped that just before she had a chance to go up there. 
She wanted to have her chance too, but she never got it. All the students were asked to go back to the tables and sit down, and as they did, they noticed that their professor walked up to the target, and he pulled the target off the wall. And as he did, underneath it was a picture of Jesus. A hush fell over the room as every student viewed the mangled image of their Savior. The holes and the jagged marks covered his face. His eyes were virtually pierced out. And Professor Smith only said these words. Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. How can anyone say, I love God, and yet hate his brother or sister? How can anyone say, I love God, but with a mean and angry spirit, treat others in the world as if they are not worth anything? I wrestled with how I should close this sermon today. I actually had a three-point conclusion to close it. Aren't you glad that Jesus edits the sermons on Saturday morning? He edited it out. So I said to the Lord yesterday, well, how do I close this sermon? I'm wrestling with that, Lord. And this is what I sense the Holy Spirit saying. Why don't you ask the people of Grace Community Church? To follow the example of Mason Druck. And if you're willing, if you're willing, sometime today, would you also pray and simply say, Jesus, would you fill my heart with your love? Would you open the doors of heaven and by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you just pour out your love into my heart until it overflows? And then watch what God will do in you, in the most intimate and loving relationships you have, in the way in which you interact in your neighborhood and at work, and the way that God uses you in the world in which we live. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that as we have studied this singular attribute of your love, you have made it so very clear to us that there is no inconsistency between love and truth. That we can indeed be followers of Christ who firmly stand on the authority of your word. And yet, in this culture, live lives of love that attract people to know who you are and eventually lead people into relationship with yourself. Lord, I don't know where each of us is 
in our own personal love lives with you and with others in this world. But I do know where you want us all to be. And I know where you want me to be. My prayer today is that sometime during this day, this sermon, this particular call to action would not fall through a black hole in the parking lot here or the driveway at home. But it would make such a measurable difference that across this congregation, across the GCC Anywhere congregation, there would be a commitment on the part of people to in faith pray and ask you to fill their heart with your love to overflowing. So that like Mason, our lives will be different. The way we interact with others will be different. Whether those others live with us in our home or simply interact with us very briefly in this culture, we will be filled with the love that is your nature, of whom you are the sole source, a love that transforms, a love that changes. And we pray this together in the name of Jesus. And all the people said, amen. Will you stand with me? Let's sing together. Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.